Good to see you this morning. My name is John Anenson. I'm the campus pastor here, and it is good to be with you uh, this morning. It's good to see a lot of familiar faces out there as well as uh, new ones as well. We want to welcome back uh, many of you that have been uh, maybe away on vacation. Uh, Also want to welcome you back. Uh, If you've just been away for a while, if it's been too cold to worship, is it ever too cold to worship? I mean, if you can't feel your arms, I guess, it'd be kind of hard to worship. But uh, it is good. Have you noticed it's a little cold outside? No? Uh, we have been meeting uh, these past couple weeks. It's been bitterly cold um, about this crazy idea. Uh, Hope Jamaica is sounding really good right now. That's going to be our next campus. So after the service, we'll have an informational meeting for anybody that wants to uh, be a part of the launch team for our next campus. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it's good to be the church here and... Uh, in, in all of this crazy how, how cold it is, there is some really good news. I don't know if you caught this. It was just on Channel 8's website for a little bit, but I found the forecast uh, for next week. Go ahead and throw that up. I don't know if you can see that, but um, Tuesday is going to be awesome. So you can look forward to that. Um, you know, plan accordingly. Uh, so, so look forward. It's going to be cold, and then it's going to be hot there on Tuesday, a high of 119, but a low of negative five. So it'll be a really big uh, difference that day. So uh, get, out your, get out your swimsuits and uh, make your plans accordingly. Uh, the, uh, that's not true, by the way. Some of you are like, really? No. Uh, the new year uh, not only brings about cold temperatures, but it brings about an opportunity for us to make New Year's resolutions. It's a time of, of setting goals for the new year and what we hope to accomplish. We set goals as people, even businesses, put together plans they hope to accomplish in the new year, uh, and also churches. And at Hope, uh, we're no different. We feel like God has given us some big goals for 2014, for the year ahead. But instead of looking forward into the future for some new big idea, we're instead going back in the past to God's timeless wisdom as we set our goals. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 1, and that's where we're going to start today, Psalm chapter 1. We're not looking for the next, you know, fad or hip new idea. We're going back to God's timeless wisdom that he says in the very first Psalm. This is what we're basing our goals as a church on for this year. If you, if you don't know where Psalms is, just open up your Bible right to the middle, and you should be in the Psalms, and then go to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. This is where we start today. If you've got it, say, I'm there. All right. Starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Wow, that seems like a pretty incredible promise, doesn't it? So that's it. That's our New Year's resolution as a church for 2014, that we would be like that tree that's described here in Psalm chapter 1, planted by streams of water, continually putting our roots down, not just into any soil, but the soil of what God desires for us in his promises and in his love. And when we do, we will be renewed. Life will spring forth. Fruit will come up for the kingdom. We know that with any living thing, I know it's hard to imagine roots going down right now, but the root systems of your grass in your lawn, of your plants, of your trees, right now is an extremely important time. 
because they're developing their root system for the year ahead. So why would it be any different with us and our faith? And that's why our theme as Lutheran Church of Hope at all of our campuses for 2014 is roots and renewal, putting our roots down in faith and seeing the renewal and the fruit of the kingdom that comes from that in our lives. So everybody say roots. Everybody say renewal. I don't think you're getting it. Everybody take your hands like this. Take your hands. Warm them up a little bit. Get the blood flowing a little bit. All right? Now, do some actions. All right? Everybody say roots. Roots. You see how you make roots? Everybody say renewal. Renewal. Try it again. Roots. Roots. Renewal. Let's do it together. Roots. Renewal. There we go. You got it. You're going to be going around work tomorrow going, people are going to be wondering, what are you doing? Right? Roots and renewal. Finding our roots is about getting back to the basics, about putting first things First, back to the things that God, that God wants to give us, that fills us up. Making, making weekly worship a non-negotiable. It is never too cold to worship. And FYI, we are always open for worship. Even if I have to snowshoe over here, we are always open for worship. So we'll be here. Making, uh, making prayer such a regular and natural part of your life that it is like the air that you breathe that you would not think of going through a whole day without taking a breath of air. Seeing, reading your Bible, seeing scripture the way that Jesus sees it as our daily bread, that you wouldn't even think about going a whole day without eating. Well, you might think about it, but it'd be on your mind all day saying, I am so hungry. Do you hunger and thirst for God's word? And when we do those things, God says, you will start to see fruit. You will get refreshed. You will get renewed. You'll discover joy and freedom and peace, and you will get reoriented to life. If you've been wandering, if you've been lost, if you've been disconnected from God, he says, I want to reorient you. I want to give you a new sense of direction to put first things first in the year ahead. So a couple years ago, I got my first smartphone. And I, I, uh, I had a flip phone uh, before that. I was really one of the cool kids with a flip phone. Uh, but I got my first smartphone, and not only was it a phone, it has the GPS thing in it. So I used to be a map guy. I had maps. Anybody you still have maps in your, like, paper maps, like not on your phone, in your car door? I would always have those. And so this thing had a GPS, and I can't tell you um, how much time and gas uh, and money. This would have saved me if I would have had this before. My wife and I were on vacation this past week, and I use this, I feel like, every moment of every day because I'm terrible, terrible with directions. And so, you know, guys, how when we go on trips and we travel, we don't really like to ask for direction, you know, and then your wife says, um, honey, I think you're lost. No, no, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I'm going. Why is it that I don't listen to my wife who's sitting next to me, but I'll listen to the little British lady that's stuck inside my phone, right? Right? Turn here, right? Turn left, right here. I do a terrible British accent, right? We don't like to ask for directions, but I'll listen to her. You know what I love about this, uh, the GPS on here? I don't know if you have a British lady or an American lady or whatever, but when you make a wrong turn, it doesn't scold you. Here's what I love. If you make a wrong turn, you punch in where your destination is and you make a wrong turn, it doesn't say, well, that was a stupid mistake, right? It just says, the lady comes on in a nice gentle voice and she says, rerouting, right? Have you ever heard that? Rerouting, recalculating, whatever it is. And I love that. The little lady is like a little robot voice. She doesn't say, why didn't you listen to me, right? How could you? 
What a terrible mistake. It just says rerouting. And it's just so reassuring, you know, because she's so nice. And, and I, I, you know, especially this past week when we were out of the state, I, I didn't know where I was. And so multiple times, you know, make a U-turn, make a U-turn again, right? Rerouting over and over and over. And I just, I got so attached to her. I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. You're so nice. Nice little British lady inside my phone. I, I just got really uh, attached to her. And it gives you this confidence. And I don't know what it's saying to you when you mess up, but what it's saying to me is, I'll still get you there. Rerouting. Bonehead. It's going to take a little longer. But I'll still get you there. I'll still, I'll still get you to your destination. Rerouting. And I, I don't know about you, but I think we've all taken some wrong turns in life, haven't we? And you might feel disconnected. You might be coming in here today with some regrets from 2013. You might be coming in here that you brought in today with, you might just be exhausted, you might be worn out, you might be stressed. But we are not here this morning because any of us have it all together. We're here because I think we're looking for direction. <laughs> we're looking to get reoriented to life. And so my prayer for us as we begin a new year as a church is that today that we will hear the Holy Spirit say to you, rerouting in a nice, calm, but affirming voice, rerouting. I'll still get you there. I haven't given up on you. In fact, if you're feeling any of those ways this morning, I love how the prophet Jeremiah puts it long ago when God's people were, were distant, they were disconnected from him, they had wandered, and they were looking for a fresh start. And let's read this together from the book of Jeremiah. Let's read it nice and loud. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Look for the ancient path, not the newest, hippest fad or trend or expert advice that's out there. Go back. If you want to find your direction, if you want to get reoriented in 2014, go back to the tried and true path. Go back to your roots. Go back to what got you here. God says, it's time to let me reroute your life and give you a new sense of direction for 2014. And it turns out that's exactly what God is offering his people in our scripture reading that you heard read for today. So if you're in the Psalms, go back to the front of your Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God's going to tell us how to get reoriented here in a brand new year. Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's a great big book. There's a lot of it, but we're going to start in chapter 5. In fact, I know we say this every week, but if, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one. It is my dream that nobody would walk in those doors on a Sunday morning without a Bible. So we're not just saying that because it's a good churchy thing to say. I would love it if every single one of you had a Bible on your lap as we dig into this this morning. You're going to have this in front of you. That's why they're there, not to sit on the floor. And that's not a guilt thing. It's just an encouragement thing. It's a challenge thing that you would not think of coming to worship without a Bible. That that would just be what you do every single week. So Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you're feeling a bit off today... If you're feeling a bit distracted, if you're feeling a lack of purpose, if you're feeling burdened, well, then you'll fit right in with the Israelites today because that's where we find them. Right here in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we pick up the story after God's people have been 
wandering. (laughs) They have gotten off course big time. They did not have the GPS that says recalculating, (laughs) reorienting, rerouting. They didn't have that. And because of that, they wandered in the desert for 40 more years than they really had to. But it didn't have to be that way. Right away at the beginning of their journey, God, through Moses, gives them the Ten Commandments back in Exodus. So when we arrive on the scene here in Deuteronomy, this is actually the second time that we receive the Ten Commandments in the Bible. They've already been given, and this is towards the end of the Israelites wandering through the desert, and they're not into the Promised Land yet. Moses is getting up there in years, and this is kind of one of his last speeches, one of his parting shots to say, I've been leading you for almost my whole life, and now it's time for me to tell you my parting shot. And right away, God had given them these commandments. And he says, if you obey these things, things will go well for you. But I can't protect you from the consequences. And so for 40 years of disobeying those very laws that God has set up, the people had wandered, but God hasn't given up. And like a good father, he's calling them back, calling them back once again. And now through Moses, God is reminding them of who they're called to be, back to the ancient path. And through Moses, he says, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. Don't just know them intellectually. Apply them to your lives. Verse 2, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. That's where the Ten Commandments were first given. Verse 3, It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. Now, pause there for a second. Wait a minute, preacher man, you might be saying. You're saying if I'm going to get reoriented and re-energized and re-motivated and find purpose and excitement and joy for my life in 2014, the place to begin is 10 rules. Yes, that's exactly the response I thought I was going to get, right? Because when we talk about the Ten Commandments, I'm guessing that joy and freedom are not the first things that come to mind, right? If you grew up in the church, you may may have gone through confirmation or equivalent or something like that, and you went through uh, the catechism, Luther's small catechism or whatever it was, and among those things was the Ten Commandments. And you probably, when you think of the Ten Commandments, you think of having to recite them in front of the pastor or in confirmation class or stand up in front of the entire church and recite the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer and the Creed from heart, and you have sweaty palms and you're thinking, I think the Ten Commandments were created by some cranky preacher to make teenagers hate church, right? If you grew up in the church, that may be what you're thinking. If you didn't grow up in the church and you're new to the faith, which I know that many of you are, you're thinking, how could a list of rules possibly bring me joy? Isn't the Ten Commandments just a list of things, of ways that God wants to take joy from me? No, 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 no. Joy, right? Whenever the rest of culture is saying, yes, 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 yes. God's saying, no, 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 no. But what if God's no is actually a yes? What if by God saying no, he's actually saying yes to life? And that's the thing. There is so much more to it than this. The list, instead of a list of rules, God says, no, neither of those are true. In fact, I love how Moses says, look at verse 3. If you got your Bibles, look at verse 3. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with who? With us. 
And he's saying that, Moses is saying that to the Israelites that day, but he might as well be saying it to us, to all of us who are alive here today. He's referring to their ancestors, but he's also saying, these are for you. These are not old, boring, irrelevant laws. (laughs) They're boundaries to protect you and to give you life. Boundaries equal love. And parents, you know this better than anyone. As I'm talking, you're thinking, oh man, if only I could get my kids to understand that boundaries mean love. Whether they're two or whether they're 20 or whether they're 40. Some of you with grown children are still trying to get your kids to realize that boundaries mean love. Our son Caleb is now nine months old and he won't sit still. Uh, I don't think he has stopped moving for the last month. Uh, he is in very good shape because of that. And so because of that, he never wants to sit, sit still. Diaper changing used to be kind of a two-minute drill in and out. Diaper changing is now a 20-minute event. Uh, it's a saga. And parents, you, you know this if you've had uh, young kids. And I, he, he never stops to move. And if you turn your back for a split second, he's somewhere else. And I learned this the hard way the other day. I had set him on our couch, which is only, I don't know, you know, how high couches are, not that far. But I set him on the couch to the back of the couch just for a split second. I put a toy in his hand and I just turned around for a second, just for a second. And I'm turning back and I see the toy go over the edge of the couch and he's leaning down, my nine-month-old son, hanging off the couch looking for it. And before I can get to him, he kind of turns and does a flip and goes thud and just lands right on the back of his head. My wife has experienced this before. I, as a father, have never experienced the first fall before, right? So my heart is just breaking, and I run over to him, and I grab him. Now, keep in mind, a little bit of backstory here. Before this happened, he had tried to crawl off the couch. I take him, I set him back, I say, Caleb, no, because you can reason with a nine-month-old, right? And he comes back, and I set him back, and he crawls to the edge, and I set him back, and he crawls to the edge, and I set him back over and over and over again. So this was after about five or six warnings from me that this is not going to go well for you if you wander too close to the edge. And so he hits his head and it's a thud. And I don't know, something just comes over me of like, oh no, I'm a terrible parent. And I rush over to him and of course I pick him up and he puts his head immediately on my shoulder and just sort of nuzzles in and there's snot everywhere. And you can tell he's just shaking. I can hear his heart pounding almost and he's just wet and snotty and gross all over and I'm holding on to him and his lips quivering and I just feel terrible. I just feel terrible. And of course my heart is breaking as a father. But I'm also thinking, (laughs) it didn't have to end this way. (laughs) You know, you you didn't have to do this. Caleb, things would have gone so much better for you if you would have listened. There's nothing more that I want for you to not feel this hurt and pain right now. I want you to be a happy little boy that's full of life. I'm just holding him saying, oh, buddy, if you just would have listened to my words. If you just would have paid attention instead of wandering over too close to the edge where you're not supposed to go. My boundaries are there because I love you. And so why would it be any different for us? I wonder if God feels the same way about us. Things will be so much better for you when you listen to my words, when you stay within my boundaries. They're there because I love you. Because what happens when for us, 
It's not wandering to the edge of the couch, but it's wandering past the boundaries that God has set up for us. When we as grown kids, as adults, think that we know the best for us and we wander. But God comes with these rules, with these laws, not to take life from us, but he says, I don't want you to come up empty, so please don't have any other gods but me. God says, I want you, you in your life, right now here today, to experience incredible pleasure in your physical relationships and love. So I'm asking you to have your relationships be within the boundaries of a lifelong commitment of marriage. I want families to be healthy so children honor, respect, love your parents. I want you to experience the freedom that comes with having nothing to hide. So don't lie and cheat. Just be honest. I want to give you a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, not as a duty, (laughs) but so you can rest. All of us need rest. So you can have time with your family and friends and experience laughter and joy. Obey these laws, God says, not as a duty, but because you know I love you and want the very best for you. Parents, you know that. That's how your heart beats for your kids. And if we're created in the image of God, why would it be any different? but some of us still wander, just like the Israelites. And if only that was the story of the Old Testament. But then, of course, we wouldn't have most of our Bibles. Next, for almost 40 years, not just those 40 years in the desert, but for thousands of years, God's people wander so desperately close to the edge and they fall down. They fall down again and again, not by chasing toys, but by chasing idols. And that brings us to the first commandment, which we're just going to spend a little bit of time on today. Look back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, and let's look at verse 7. And let's read this nice and loud together as if you're Moses proclaiming it from the mountaintop in the deepest voice that you can. Let's read it together. You shall have no other gods before me. For the Israelites, when life was hard and it seemed like God wasn't coming through, they would make statues of of, of calves or cows out of gold or bronze and they would worship them. They would even turn to other false gods from other countries. And you might be thinking, time out, John. The last time I looked, I don't have a golden calf erected in my front yard that I worship every single morning. So obviously, this rule is out of date and doesn't apply to any of us. So moving on to number two, right? Unless the simple definition of an idol is anything that you put in a higher place in your life than God. It could be sin. It's distracting you. It could also be good things. Oh, John, you see, God wants me to be fully invested in my family. And when my family needs something, I drop everything. Even if it takes me away from my relationship with God, my family, that's who I was born into. And they're my number one priority in life. And I've elevated them above everything else. It's idolatry. Oh, John, I'm not that close to my family. You see, it's my friends. It's my social life. And that's the most important thing. I have a routine. I have an agenda. I need to be with these certain friends. And when they call, I'm there. I always have to be there. I want to be a best friend to these people. It's idolatry. No, John, you see, actually for me, uh, it's, it's, my, it's my hobbies. You know, I, I love uh, my favorite TV shows or sports or fitness or, or Facebook. I mean, they're innocent, right? Do a heart check. Where are your affections today? 
What do you love more than anything else? What's your treasure? Where are the, who gets the affections of your heart? Oh, John, you see, it's my, my work is really, really important. If I could just get a few more hours in, then my boss will be happy with me. I'll climb the ladder of success. If I could just find that right, perfect job, then my soul will be satisfied. You've elevated it. It's now way up here, and somewhere in the mix is your creator. What is it for you that's getting in the way? If only I could find that significant other. Then I'll be satisfied. Then it'll be enough. The problem is when we put our our hope and we put our trust and we put our faith in things that this world can offer, we'll always be left wanting more. I've had so many people in my office counseling them, and they're wondering while they're still wandering, while they're still searching. And every time it's a new thing. And I remember asking somebody one time, when will it ever be enough? When will things in your life ever be good enough? And they didn't have an answer because they're always relying on things of this world to fill them up rather than something that ultimately is going to fill them up and they will not have to search any longer. When is it ever going to be enough? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added onto you. I want you to know that in all my years of talking to people and being in the church, I have never once heard somebody say, you know, John, ever since I started pursuing God with all my heart, making him the number one priority in my life, ever since I started worshiping weekly and reading my Bible and developing a daily prayer life, life has really been a drag and I feel so dissatisfied with life. I just feel like I'm missing out. Never! I've never heard anybody say that. Have you heard anybody say that? Put first things first, God says, and the rest of it will fall into place. I was thinking about that this week, and uh, I remember this little tiny jar. I'll show it to you. This little tiny jar that a mentor of mine gave me in high school. It's just a little glass jar, and inside of it, it has corn kernels, and then it has a big rock. And I remember my mentor saying to me, John, this will be, when you think about following God's law and following his commands for your life, this will be the most important jar that you ever own in your life. And I remember kind of laughing. I go, yeah, right. I just kind of put it on the shelf up there with all my churchy things. I'll get to it someday, right? And I think it was a day in college, I, I pulled it out and I was like, okay, I need something to do. And I, I took it out and I took the lid off if I can get it off. And I dumped it out. And it's filled with corn kernels and a rock. And I said, okay, well, that's neat. And like a typical man, I just jump right in and no need to follow instructions. And I start trying to put everything back in. And obviously, I start with all the corn. And I'm not going to do that today because it's going to take a while. And I filled the whole thing up with corn. And I said, oh, shoot, I forgot the rock. And I tried to stick the rock in there, and it didn't fit. And then as a typical man, I read the directions last, and on, conveniently, on the front of the jar, there is a sticker that my mentor put on there that said, put the rock first. Helps to uh, read the directions, right? 
with a reference to Matthew 6.33, which is, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. And I wonder if that's God's heart for commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me, a.k.a. put the rock first. Everybody say, put the rock first. Put the rock first. Try it sometime. Get a jar, fill it up with corn or fill it up with sand or whatever it is, and then try to put the rock in. And so what I did is I dumped out all the corn and I put the rock in first, and then I started to add all the other things around it, and suddenly it fit. And what a beautiful example for our lives. I wonder if that's God's heart for us this year. Put first things first. God says, I'm not promising that life is always going to be easy. I'm promising that when you live for things that matter, you won't be stressed out all the time and live for all the demands and distractions of this life. But if only that was the story of God's people, if only that was ended with the Old Testament, but we know that the misunderstanding of God's law continues right on to the New Testament. In the Gospels, when Jesus arrives on the scene, the problem wasn't so much just disregard for the law as the Israelites were, worshiping idols and things like that. The problem was that God's people were seeing the law as the point instead of worshiping God as the point. And Jesus had his, his harshest anger, his holy anger was reserved not for the people who knew that they didn't have it all together, the sinners. His harshest anger was reserved for the religious people that thought that they did have it all together. And so we come into the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Let me read this for you. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of the day, the pastors And he says, woe to you. When somebody says woe to you, that means pay attention and listen because I am not pleased with you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. Jesus goes to the temple, to the religious leaders of the day that have it all figured out, that have followed the law their entire lives, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. Is that the Jesus you know, the one that likes to pick fights? Certainly not afraid. And he says, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you think the point is following the rules. And if you do that, it'll make you righteous. You think the point is following the law but you don't know me. The point of the law is to be in relationship with me, but your hearts are so disconnected from your obedience. And that's why later on Jesus says, be careful now. I'm not saying that you should throw out the law. I'm just saying, let's put the law back in its proper place. Think about it this way. I love shapes. Shapes help us understand things. Jesus says, let's put the law back in its place. Jesus says, remember my father in heaven and his heart for you. It always has to start with the fact that we have a good and loving father who loves us and his heart for you. And the reason that he gives you these laws, the reason that he gives you these commands is because you're his people, you're his kids, because he loves you. And because we have a father, that gives us an identity. 
and our identity is God's chosen holy people. We are loved. We are treasured. We are valued. And when you know you're loved, when you know, whether as an earthly father or your heavenly father, when you know you have a father that loves you and has your best intentions in mind, you want to obey him. You want to respect him. You want to love him in return. You want to respond in obedience. Father, identity, obedience. But here's the problem with what happens in the Gospels with the Pharisees. They had it all backwards. They were trying to motivate people by starting here. They were starting trying to guilt people into following the law instead of, instead of realizing there's a father who loves them that gives them out of an identity and out of that identity of being loved, they want to respond. Motivating people to follow God's law by guilt and pressure rather than because they are loved. And so the Pharisees, it's supposed to go this way. The Pharisees had it all backwards. The Pharisees were trying to get to the Father by simply being obedient. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of us, we've been living it backwards for most of our Christian lives. You've been living life backwards. Jesus says it's time to put the law back in its proper place. What, what is the point of obedience? Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law to throw it out. I came to fulfill it. So what does that mean? Enter Martin Luther, the leader of the, the Lutheran movement who our church is named after. At the very center of the Reformation is this idea of what is the law all about. And for Luther, the law, depending on which scholars you ask, had two or three purposes. And the two I want to focus on today are, number one, that it creates order. It creates boundaries, and we already talked about that. And number two is that it acts as a mirror. The purpose of the law is not to try to get to God. The purpose of the mirror is like... The purpose of the law is like a mirror, that when we look into it, you see who you really are. Whether you like who that is or not, you see, well, sometimes the hard truth. You see who you are, and when you look into God's perfect law, when you read these laws, you realize, I haven't lived up to all of them. I'm not the person that I want to be. Maybe I'm not the person, the image that I project to the world all the time. And we realize, as Romans says, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us can look into God's perfect law and measure up to a righteous and holy God. The purpose of the law is, one, to create order, and two, to show us our sin. Not to weigh on the guilt and the condemnation, but as Luther goes on to say, now that you have seen your sin, what are you going to do about it? It points you to a Savior. It points you to Jesus Christ. It points us to something bigger than ourselves, outside of ourselves. Because here's the thing. The purpose of the law is to tell us the bad news so that we can have good news. We can't just talk about puppies and rainbows and God's love all the time if we don't talk about the bad news. The reason that salvation is so good is because we need saving. Why do you need to be saved if, you're, if you don't believe you're drowning? And the purpose of the law is to look into the mirror of God's laws and say, without Jesus, I got nothing. And that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, let's read this together up on the screen. This is true of all of us. 
Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Without the law, we wouldn't know that we need a Savior. And without a Savior, there's no hope for change. Which is really good news for those of you that are thinking about making New Year's resolutions. In fact, as we take a look at this final video, see if you can't resonate with the inner struggle of some of these people of trying to be the person that God wants them to be. Let's take a quick look. This year will be different. This year will be different. This year will be different. This year, I need to eat less. You know what? I do solemnly swear that this year I will lose 10 pounds. Or at least five. Learn to wait. I always want things instantly. I need patience. Now! This year, I'll be nicer to my parents. What, Mom? Get off my back. I just need peace in my life. I'm just so nervous all the time. I just... I'm twitching. Three kids. I'm a twitcher. I'm twitching. I twitch. I just can't seem to get... My pits to stop sweating. Can you... can you see this? Look, when did I become the human leak? I mean, I know I've got some stress about my future and everything, but why can't I just be like everyone else and you conceal it? Okay, I'll just have to fake it till I make it. And I'll... Be better than I've ever been in my entire life. If I'm going to make this year count, I have to do some things differently. It's too pay time. Make some goals this year. Just three, not ten. Stop judging people who aren't like me. Stop snapping at my kids. Dream! Character over image. Learn that I'm loved, but not entitled. God, did you forget about me? I'm here. Just show me what to do. Give me the strength to change. What am I saying? I, I don't even know if I want to change, God. I'm comfortable. I have a good life. I know. You want the best for me. So why don't I want the best for me? Starting tomorrow, using my gifts and talents, I'm going to live my life differently. God's way. I'm tired of keeping this great gift. A secret. Can I tell you a secret? I feel like I'm separated from something. That sounds weird, doesn't it? But whatever I need, it's bigger than this world can offer. I offer my life, God. It's something much more than what I can see. So please, God, would you just take this little bit of faith that I have? I just can't wait another year. Whatever I need, it's bigger than this world can offer. New Year's resolutions are easy to make, but really hard to keep, and that's because it's human nature. Resistance to change is, when you think about it, it's built into our physical universe. Let's go back to science class for a second. Newton's first law of motion reminds us that a body at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. 
God, God wired that reality into the universe. We, as followers of Jesus, are bodies at rest. We are stuck in our old habits and our old ways unless acted upon by an extremely powerful and life-altering force. As you make your New Year's resolutions, you are fighting against human nature. Enter something bigger. Enter something outside of us. Enter the Holy Spirit. God did not leave us stuck with unbearable laws that we would never be able to fulfill. Instead, he made a promise to his people long ago. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, after God's people had run away and disobeyed again and again and again and again, God looks to the future, to the time when Jesus would come to our time right now. And he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. Listen to this. You got to get this this morning. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. God has placed his spirit inside of you today that longs to respond to him, not out of duty, but because you're loved. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you today, and that's why there's hope for change. Christianity is not about self-help. It's not about positive thinking. It's about heart transformation because Christ is in you. Without Jesus, we've got nothing. We've got nothing. In fact, I want to I be honest with you this morning. I was driving home the other night after a long day of work in the kind of outside of the city a little bit so I could finally see the stars. And uh, it had been a long day and I was really, really overwhelmed and so I, I just pulled over. And before going home, I just needed to, to gather myself. And Do you ever just have those moments in life when you just feel... Uh, completely overwhelmed and I for one was feeling inadequate as a leader feeling more importantly inadequate as a husband and as a dad wondering am I enough am I doing enough am I making a difference I'm, I'm stressed out about my to-do list I'm overwhelmed at what's in front of me these next few weeks if I can be completely honest tired of the same old temptations, tired of the same old ugly habits that we all have, dreading the new year, dreading the idea of making these New Year's resolutions that I'm probably going to break to my wife and my friends, to some of you. Yes, pastors are not perfect, believe it or not. Thinking, oh, I make all these resolutions and I probably won't live up to them, and I'm just feeling completely overwhelmed. And yes, guys, it's okay to cry. And I'm just looking up in the stars, and in the still small voice, I felt like God said, John, it's time to come back home. It's time to come back home. Because it was never really about you. John, was it ever really about me or was it about me through you? And I need that reminder 
every single day. God says, come back to me. In other words, rerouting. Rerouting, Pastor John. And then I realized maybe the most important thing, the most important resolution that I can make in 2014 is to live aware every single day that Jesus is all I have. That after that, nothing else really matters. So maybe for you, as you stare at 2014, at that fresh white canvas that you're afraid to ruin, the commitments, the kids, the fear of failure, or falling back into your old ways, the daunting tasks that are ahead of you, may you hear God say to you this morning, it's time to come back to me. Because we can make it so complicated sometimes. But our goal for us as a church this year and my prayer for you for 2014 is this. Be with Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Be loved by Jesus. Worship Jesus. Talk with Jesus. Remember Jesus is in you and live through Jesus. Let that be our prayer. Lord, we need you. Every day and every hour, we need you. Amen?